Are you glad the pews are back?
you sound so good. You may be seated. Take your attention to the screen. Tens of thousands of people rallied Sunday to protest last week's coup. The military rounded up the nation's democratically elected open fire on large crowds in several Hundreds were arrested. Despite the growing international condemnation. In the book of Acts and Acts chapter 12, there's a lot of geopolitical things that are happening that everyone would have been talking about, would have been dominating the headlines. And yet, in the background behind all of that, without anyone realizing, the kingdom of God was spreading like wildfire all over the known world at that time. We work in an area of Southeast Asia that's experiencing a lot of turmoil and upheaval right now, a lot of anger, a lot of fear. At the same time, we've seen opportunities to share the gospel. People are very hesitant to believe in a God that they can't see. People worship both the spirits and Buddha. But when the pandemic hit, then all of a sudden everyone was afraid and everyone's lives were being changed because of this virus that was unseen. Well, hey, you're scared of something that you can't see. Let me tell you about something that you can't see that will free you from that fear that will give you life. Just outside our city, there's a small village of about 50 people. We got connected to an elderly woman, our national partner, had been sharing the gospel with her. She said, I believe I'm in. And she has since been just an incredible force that God's used in the last year and a half or two years. We're hearing stories of 30 homes in this village coming to faith and this entire village coming to faith and half of this village coming to faith. God's moving in some pretty exciting ways, but there's still a long way to go. Not knowing what the future holds has been really challenging. Even though there's upheaval and chaos in our region and around the world, we are more confident than we've ever been that this is exactly where we need to be. This is exactly what God has called us to do. In the background, maybe not making the headlines, people's lives will be changed, disciples will be made, and the kingdom of God will spread like wildfire. So the Lottie Moon Christmas offering we're taking today, and unless your gift is designated as something else, every single dollar that's given today is going to go to our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So just be aware of that as you fill your offering envelope out, and uh, it's everything we give on today's offering goes to Lottie Moon. Now, as we think about that and Lottie Moon and, and what that means, I want to ask men, if you're physically able, I'd like for you to to stand and to come down to the front and uh, let's have a time of prayer and uh, just kneel down here at the front. Come on, as you're physically able, if you're able to, come on down. And I've asked Clint um, Stewart to come and to lead us in prayer as we think about Lottie Moon and, and what this money is going to do and how God is going to use it to change hearts and lives. Clint? Father, by your goodness and grace, we've read Ezekiel 20 this morning, verse 9 and verse 14. And as far back as Ezekiel's time, Father, your mind and heart has been on the nations. Israel was to conduct itself in a way that pointed people to you, not just those in Israel who had not yet come to terms with you, but, Father, with the nations around them. The nations are on your heart, Father, because you created them. And Father, today the church has this charge to go and to tell the nations. Father, I'm thankful that we as a, a church here at Westgate are a part of a larger group of churches that have a history of taking this charge seriously. Father, men and women have gone out from our Southern Baptist International Missions group for a long time. And we don't say that to our praise, but we say that, Father, to the working of your spirit in our lives and as a testimony that your people can follow your direction in our hearts and that our hearts can be set toward the things that your heart is on. Thank you, Father, for your spirit's work 
in the lives of Southern Baptists. We thank you for all the other mission organizations that take seriously the charge to take the light of the glorious gospel of Christ to the nations. And Father, as Dave made so clear this morning in Sunday school, your name is so important. I pray, Father, that all of our mission organizations would take seriously the name of Christ, to take seriously your name, Father, and to not be disgraceful with your name before the nations because we have a testimony to bear, Father, of the work of your Son in our lives, of the work of your Spirit to turn us toward your heart. So, Father, as we as Southern Baptists in this season of the year gather together our offerings and lay them before your throne, we ask you to bless them and multiply them. Father, we're thankful for the ones who've gone. We ask for more because the harvest is white. So, Father, until your Son comes, may we be faithful to you in sending out and in gathering in offerings that are made available to those who go to make that work go forward, to push light into the darkness. Because, Father, there's so much darkness, but there's so much light. And the light is your Son. We pray in North America that the North American Mission Board would continue to do its great work. But today, Father, we pray for the International Mission Board that they would go far and deep and wide with the gospel of Christ. We pray for strength. We pray for good strategy. We pray for men and women who would honor you with their lives. And we pray, Father, that the funds that we give in this season would honor you and would encourage those who are out working toward these ends. We're thankful to lift this prayer up to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Clint. And give the men a chance to get back to their seats. For those of you who do not know, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is, is named after one of our missionaries that served in China and she gave her life over there. She, she died over there, and that's who it's named after. And so the monies we give today, like I said, all of it, unless otherwise designated, goes to our international missions offering called Lottie Moon. Now, if you would take your attention again, please, to the screens. I have another short video for you to watch. People must know. The journey to Bethlehem. How we couldn't get a room at the inn. And where this all began. People must know. Mary? It's time. And there is something else. When I think about Christmas, that's the birth of hope. It's the birth of light. It's the birth of us being able to have life in Him and life abundantly. People must know that God's mercy and love is infinite. So that they can experience what real living, real humanity, real joy truly is. It said there at the very end, it said in theaters, December 1st. Well, it was, but uh, now... It is available for you to watch, and you can do that if you just look at the little card that was in the pews there that was sitting there. It has a QR code that you can scan, or you can go to the website, chosenchristmas.com, and you can watch The Messengers, the Christmas presentation from The Chosen. And uh, how many of you saw it in the movie theaters? Raise your hand up high. How many of those who saw it in the movie theaters would go pay to see it again? Yes. Really, really good. I encourage you to take the opportunity this week. You can view it in your home, and uh, I know you will enjoy it. About the first 45 to 50 minutes is music by all those artists that they listed up there real quickly, and I know you'll enjoy it. And then they show this wonderful presentation of Christ's birth. So let me encourage you to take advantage of that. 
Let's all continue singing together as we sing Silent Night.
Oh God, that is our prayer, that you come to us and abide with us. Our Lord, Emmanuel, you are God with us. Thank you. Thank you for that love that you have for us as we prayed at the beginning of the service. Thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your one and only son. May you be magnified here today. We ask it in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. you're enjoying the pews. We waited a long time for them, didn't we? And one of the neat things about it is, you know, you, you try to learn along the way of what is beneficial to us as a church family. And for those that we try to minister to and to reach, one of the things we say is we are a place where relationships matter most. And one of the things that we learned in the interim of being back in the gym is we needed more space to visit. And so without losing seating capacity by using chairs if needed, We've created some space in the back and in the front where you can visit, you can hang out. You don't just have to jam into the atrium to visit. And so I hope that we'll utilize that opportunity to spend time visiting with one another before and after the service. I wanna again extend my gratitude for each one of you for the generosity extended through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering as it goes to help international missionaries throughout the world. We have almost 4,000 missionaries scattered throughout the world. Uh, we are trying to raise $185 million for the International Mission Board in this one offering alone. We don't have to do it by ourselves, thankfully. That is scattered out over 40,000 Southern Baptist churches. And so I hope that we will certainly do our part to make sure that happens. You are such a generous church. You have been that way ever since I've known you. And it has been an honor to work together just to continue that generosity in so many different directions. One of the things that we didn't mention, all the, all the, the, uh, the timing of getting back into the sanctuary and so much going on and uh, how we were able to pay for all of the things that needed to be done ahead of time without having to ask anybody to give additionally, is that in the, in the middle of all of that, for the last four years, you as a church have been providing rent-free opportunity for Sojourn Church to meet in our gym. For four years, they met back there at the, at the lowest common denominator of what rent would cost is we saved that church over $150,000 that they would have been spending elsewhere to rent. Plus, I just can't affirm you enough as a church. People came in the back door of our church and they had two choices. Go listen to the old codger in the sanctuary or listen to the young guy back in the gym. And if they liked a different kind of music, they could go there. And you said, that's okay. Wherever you end up going, we want you to discover who the Lord is. And so thank you for your generosity. Sojourn has been able to move over to their new location off of Lucas. If you know where Home Depot is, you know where Whataburger is over there. Their old Methodist church they bought and they're relocated over there and we had a big part of that. Thank you for your help. As we continue to talk about our generosity, uh, rather than wait to the end of the service, we're gonna go ahead and vote on our budget now. Uh, Dave Carpenter as our moderator is gonna come. We've discussed the budget, we've talked about it, we've drawn to the point where Today, we'll just go thumbs up or thumbs down. And so, Dave, if you would come and lead us uh, in this vote. I want to call us into a business meeting this morning for the sole purpose of voting uh, on the budget. Uh, you notice I put a suit on for the first time in two years. I, I uh, blow-dried my hair this morning. The only thing I forgot was to brush my teeth, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm ready, and I hope you are, because ready or not, we're voting. All in favor of approving and adopting the 2022 budget, please say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Motion carries, and uh, we're dismissed from business meetings. Thank you Not very much. <laughs> well, I think if the budget hadn't passed, then we would have been at a deficit and I couldn't have preached. We would have just had to close it out. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, the reason I wanted it to be a part of the service, not a tag on, is, is what we give, our generosity, is such an expression of worship. 
And we'll talk about that on Christmas Eve as we think about the wise men. But generosity is such an important part of worship, and I want to thank you for your, your generosity. In the midst of everything happening, uh, we missed Kent Kirk's very first Sunday here in the sanctuary. And so, Kent, we are so glad that you are here for the very second time. Uh, but you guys stand up for just a second. Brian and Heather and Cameron and Sarah, and this is little Kent. And we are so glad to have you as a part of our church family. And uh, the rest of the family sitting back down the back row, this is a, this is a, uh, this is a tough day for them as well. And at 1 o'clock in two hours, we'll be back in here for the funeral of Kent's great-grandmother. And, uh, you know, I, I gave him a pass. I, I said last night at the visitation, I said, you got to pass your pass to not come to church this morning. And Linda, I, I celebrate, and that's why I want to make this public. You, you said, my mom would want us to be in church. And I celebrate how important that is for all of us. We need to be gathered together as believers in Jesus Christ. And be praying for them as they uh, go through this experience of saying goodbye to Ann Heiner, who's such a, an important part of our church. And I want to thank our Sunday school teachers and Bible study teachers. Uh, this being the last Sunday in which we will have Bible study in Sunday school. We'll skip the next two Sundays for you to uh, be with family. And so all through the year, we have Sunday school teachers, Bible study teachers that are preparing and keeping people together and studying God's word. We want to thank you. So if you're a Bible study teacher, Sunday school teacher at Westgate, would you stand up so we can just say thank you for what you do week in and week out to help us out. Thank you so much, each one of you. You know, the, the world is run by those people who show up, and you guys show up week after week after week. Keep us on track with God's word. Keep us in fellowship with one another. So thank you so much. So, so just take the next two weeks off, okay? Um, Quickly, uh, some of you have asked about the Innkeeper's Journal. It is on television again this year. Uh, if you care to watch that, I think it's a great outreach tool because the gospel is clearly presented. And so if you have a friend, you can invite them. Uh, well, a little bit late today, but it airs for the first time today, 1130. All of these are on ABC. It airs uh, next Sunday at our normal time at 10 a.m. on ABC, uh, Christmas Day at noon. And on December 26th, it will air at 11 o'clock. So it gives you an opportunity to, to share with your friends and invite them to hear the gospel in a uniquely different way. Well, last week we began this Christmas series called Certain Uncertainty as we look at very familiar characters from the story of Christmas, the account of Jesus' birth. And even though they're, they're very familiar to us, they're, they're certain to us, we, we sometimes forget in our familiarity that every one of these individuals in history were immersed in uncertainty. We live in very uncertain times now, maybe, maybe the most uncertain times of our lives. And as we've discovered, even if there was no pandemic, our lives themselves are bookend with certainty and uncertainty. A certain birthday, an uncertain death day. It's a little bit of a reminder that in life, certainty and uncertainty do and can coexist. Our natural default, though, is to focus on the uncertainty. We've had great opportunity to do that over the last couple of years in this pandemic. So that's our default, to focus on the uncertainty, because we want things certain. I know I do. We want predictability. We want things to be sure. We want to know the direction that we are going. We like for things to be nailed down, but we tend to forget that we have great certainty in Christ, even in the midst of our uncertainty. It is through Christ that we find the certainty to deal with the uncertainties of life. And that's why we're focusing on the certainty that we have in Christ during this Christmas series. We're going to spend each week looking at a different person in the Christmas story, and see how they fit into the uncertainty of God's certain redemptive story. Last week, you remember, we looked at Mary. We were reminded of the question that she asked, the question that we all ask when things feel very uncertain in our lives, and that is, why? Or how? How, how is this happening? How will we get through this uncertainty? She was very confused. An angel says, you're going you're gonna to bear a son as a virgin. 
and he will be the Messiah. Well, number one, how in the world can you bear a son as a virgin? And number two, everybody knew that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and she lived in Nazareth. How would all of this play out? But as we saw from her life, we recognize in her uncertainty, she found certainty by believing the certainty of God's word. We need to fixate on the certainty of God's word, practice it, apply it, utilize it in our lives. We also saw from her life as she went to visit Elizabeth, who was the most certain follower of Christ that she could find at that moment, that we need to surround ourselves with people who are certainly seeking God. We are surrounded by many people, but frankly, very few of them are certainly seeking God in just the general to a flow of life. So we need to surround ourselves with people who are certainly seeking God. And thirdly, to worship God as a certain creator and sustainer of life. We see that in Mary's life, in the Magnificat. She, she worshiped God. She was, she was no less out of the uncertainty of how everything would play out, but she chose to worship God and say, even though I don't understand how, I know you do. And so, Lord, I will worship you as the one who is creator and sustainer overall. Today, we're going to look at Joseph, who is the earthly father of Jesus. And we're going to look at his place in the redemptive story that God gives us. Joseph shows up in the opening pages of, of Matthew and Luke. But then he, he vanishes, probably died somewhere in the teenage years of Jesus, we do know that he lived long enough to lose Jesus when Jesus was 12 and they were down at the temple. But after that, we don't hear anything about Joseph. Unique, uniquely, Scripture doesn't record anything that Joseph says. Now, if the, Christ, if the Christmas story were nominated for an Oscar, Joseph would certainly win Best Supporting Actor without a speaking part. There's nothing in Scripture of him talking that even though we have no record of his words, we can be certain that in his uncertainty, he asked the same question that we ask in our uncertainty, why? Joseph seems almost like a footnote in history. But his actions teach us that uncertainty is best addressed by, number one, trusting in God's sovereignty, and secondly, obediently doing the next thing. And all through this story, I hope that you'll be thinking about those two things. Trusting in God's sovereignty, obediently doing the next thing. And think about those two things that Joseph demonstrated to us as we walk through his story. This morning, we'll look at four uncertain times in Joseph's life. First of all, when he learns that, that Mary, his betrothed fiance, is pregnant. The second uncertain time is their journey to Bethlehem. The third is when the young family goes to Egypt and becomes refugees. And the fourth is when they are called back from Egypt and they come back to Israel. Now there's actually a fifth time that's uncertain for Joseph. And that's when Mary and Joseph, as I said a moment ago, they lost Jesus at the temple when Jesus was 12, and that is the closest thing we have to hearing Joseph speak. In Luke chapter 2, verse 48, we find out that after three days of looking for Jesus, Mary and Joseph finally find him. And Mary, in exasperation and fear, says, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, and you can just Picture Joseph saying what all dads say after the mom has corrected the children. Standing behind her, that's right, that's right. You can almost hear Joseph saying that, even though Luke doesn't say he did. Well, as we read about Joseph's uncertainty, we're reminded that truth can indeed be stranger than fiction. So let's pick it up with the first uncertain time in Joseph's life learning that Mary is pregnant. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. You know, as we move into this new sanctuary, it is so quiet. In the gym, is like just constant noise, it's chaos. And, you know, and, 
and people standing in the back just talking when I was speaking, just like, you know, nothing was going on. I understand that. So since it's so quiet in here, I have two concerns. Number one, that you're bored, and number two, that you're going to sleep. So if you feel like the Spirit of God moves you to say amen, or in some churches they just say, preach it, brother, meaning you're not doing very well, so you need to dial up your game. So join me in this experience of this message. Let's participate together. Amen. There we go. Learning that Mary is pregnant, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Remember, Matthew and Luke are the only ones that tell us about the surrounding events of the birth of Jesus. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But it says in verse 20, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name of Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what his name means. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In verse 24, it says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home as his wife. But he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name of Jesus. Joseph in the New Testament is like Joseph in the Old Testament. He is enduring difficulty that he didn't envision for his life. Remember where we are? This is, a, this is a time of betrothment, that, that time of engagement. And he, he is anticipating as he's building the house and preparing for Mary to become his wife. He is all excited and this whole year is about getting ready to get, Mary, get married to Mary. And all of a sudden, everything changes. This wasn't his picture. Do you have a different picture in your mind of how your life is supposed to be than the way it is turning out? Probably most of us do. We long for the ideal, but we end up living in the real. He's also bearing the shame for sins that he didn't commit, like Joseph of the Old Testament, Jacob's favored son. He didn't commit the sin that had his brothers send him off to Egypt. And Joseph is learning that his life is not going to be an ordinary life. He finds out that his engaged fiance is pregnant. He's a carpenter. Can you imagine some of the creative pieces of, of furniture he might have built while he was trying to ponder what in the world he's going to do? Maybe he ended up with a, a five-legged table. Or some of the pieces had a whole bunch of extra pegs and nails that he just kept hammering into them. I can't believe that this is happening. And then when the angel finally tells him what's going on, he thinks, boy, I sure wish that angel had come sooner. But I want you to notice what Joseph does before the angel comes. He had considered what he was going to do, that he wouldn't expose her publicly, but he would quietly divorce her. Why is Joseph considered a righteous man? Because he's a merciful man. He loved Mary, even though he felt as if she had betrayed him. He had two options. In that culture, two options, basically. Number one was public example, public disgrace. That means that you would take Mary, he would take Mary out into the, the, the town court and bring all the people together and expose the fact that she was pregnant and it wasn't his child. In that culture, they seldom stoned as they did in the Old Testament, but we know that it still existed because of what Jesus was confronted with in John chapter 8 when the woman was caught in adultery. So that was one option. He could bring her out, disgrace her in front of all of the townspeople so that she would never be able to be married to anyone, or he could quietly sign a bill of divorce among two or three witnesses. And people wouldn't have to know. He would just quietly put her away and end the relationship. Interesting enough, in the, old, in the New Testament, 
There's only one other individual called the son of David, as what Joseph is called here in this passage. And that's Jesus. You see, he was a righteous man who trusted in the sovereignty of God. Because in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the verse that is alluded here that Matthew gives us in Matthew 1.23, that a virgin will conceive and will bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. That was considered to be figurative. People didn't believe that that was literally going to happen. In their minds, like many people today, a, a virgin can't have a child. That, that's impossible. So people thought this is figurative. It's talking about something else. And they didn't believe that God would come and be a part of humanity. They believed in the great transcendence of God, that God is out there. He's distant from us. And so God couldn't come down and be a part of humanity. And so here is Joseph having to confront all of contemporary thought, all of the historical thought of the Jews. And he's having to embrace that this is literally what is happening. A virgin is conceiving, and it is God coming down to be a part of humanity. So what does he do? He obediently does the next thing. The angel says, this is God's plan. This is God's sovereign plan. Trust in the sovereignty of God and do the next thing. You know, we don't have to figure out what we're going to do the end of next year or the year after. We don't even have to figure out exactly what we have to do next week. We simply need to do the next thing that God is calling us to do. And for Joseph, it was to get up and to take Mary as his wife, protect her, and to care for her until that child was delivered. Are you seeing it? In the uncertainty of Joseph's life, he trusted in the sovereignty of God. That means that God is over all things, that nothing is above his pay grade, as we read last week, that nothing is impossible for God. That's what it means. And when something happens that feels so uncertain and wrong in our lives, we can simply turn to God and say, God, I trust that you are God, and I don't have to be. I'm trusting in your sovereignty. I like that. The journey to Bethlehem is the second uncertain time for Joseph. And we pick it up in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. And Joseph, of course, is from Bethlehem. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. See, this is so similar to the other Joseph in the Old Testament. His younger brother, Benjamin, was born on the road to Bethlehem. You remember that Jacob had two wives, multiple concubines, and that he loved one of his wives more than the other, and that was Rachel and Leah. They were, they were sisters, and just if you ever have a chance to marry sisters, just, just don't do it. It's not, not, not smart. And, and here, I sure hope nobody in here is, is, did. And Rachel was his favorite, and that's why Joseph was his favorite, and that's why his brothers rebelled against him and sold him and shipped him off to Egypt. But as they were coming to Bethlehem, Rachel had her second son, Benjamin, and died. And so on the road to Bethlehem, there was a marker, a grave, where Rachel was buried, where she had died giving birth to Benjamin. And here is Joseph in this uncertain time of his life, trying to figure out how all this works. It's, it's hard enough to be ostracized by the whole community that, that your wife is pregnant and it's not your child. And, and now you have to go on this extended journey back to Bethlehem when your wife is just at the point of delivery. And on the way, you pass by that grave 
and you wonder, is God changing his plan? And then you get to Bethlehem, and family there won't accept you because of the situation of the pregnancy. So you end up out in a barn, and your child is put in a feed trough as a crib, and Joseph is asking, why? All of this uncertainty, if this really is the Son of God, have you ever asked that? Why all this uncertainty in my life if I'm really a child of God? We've been sold enough bill of goods in the American prosperity gospel that the idea is if we follow hard after God, everything will go well for us. And so when things happen, we say, why? It's ironic, though, that we don't say why when good things happen to us. Why did this happen? Why did I get this raise? Why do I no longer have any health issues? Why do they care for me like that? Why are things going so well? Why was every light green this morning? Why? But you're in the middle of all of his uncertainty. Joseph did two things. He trusted in the sovereignty of God. God, if it was me, I would have never planned to take an ultra marathon with a pregnant woman to another city to be born in a barn. But I'm trusting you with that plan. And so I'm doing the next thing that you've called me to do. And then we have the escape to Egypt. And when they're, they're like refugees having to flee. And we pick it up in Matthew 20, chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. It says that when they, the wise men, had gone... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up. This is the second time we've heard that. Get up. Important part of the message. He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, did the next thing. He took the child and his mother during the time, during the night, left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And then we read on about the continuation of that horrible experience in which those babies were killed in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. Are you getting a sense of the uncertainty of Joseph? It's a very confusing engagement. Never would have pictured it like that. And then why the, the deal that we have to go all the way to Bethlehem to have this birth in which we seem so unsupported by other people. And, and if that's not enough, now we have to go to Egypt. We started in Nazareth, down to Bethlehem, and now we have to go all the way down to Egypt as refugees fleeing from Herod the Great, the most powerful man in that region. And when Joseph found himself swimming in uncertainty, look back at what it says in verse 14. So he got up and did what the Lord had told him to do. You follow along here, and he is saying, this doesn't make any sense to me. So confusing. But your God, I'm not. I'll do what you're calling me to do. Then we come to that fourth uncertain time in, in Joseph's life when they return back to Nazareth in Matthew chapter 22, verses 19 through 23. It says, after, after Herod had died, an angel of the Lord. <laughs> just, have you noticed how many times the angels have come to see Joseph? I don't know if you've ever seen an angel. I don't know that I have. Maybe once, I'm, I'm not sure. But this is the third time. He's obviously a righteous man. And God is giving him direction to the angel. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream in Egypt. And he said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up. And he went back. But you know what happened? When he went back, he found out that not only had Herod died, so everything should be safe. But now Herod's son is sitting on the throne. So where he was planning on going, he couldn't go there. So now he has to go back to Nazareth, where everybody knows their story, and that's where they live. How do we find certainty in the midst of our uncertainty? For friends, I know some of you are facing great uncertainty right now. 
It could be a health issue. could be a relational issue. could be a financial issue. could be a spiritual issue in which you're just wrestling with a sense of disconnect with God. How do we face that? Just the way Joseph did. We trust in the sovereignty of God when we can't understand the why. And we do the next thing. We're so interested in figuring out the whole plan at once. Some of us won't even pull the trigger until we know the whole plan is laid out. And God is saying to us, trust me, just take the next step like Joseph did. For some of you, the next step in trusting the sovereignty of God is to embrace him as your Lord and Savior. God loves us and he's created every one of us to have a relationship with him. That is the greatest need of our life. Some of you, even while I was talking, were thinking about your Christmas list. You know that a third of us don't even remember what we got for Christmas last year? That's why I would advocate that you give generously to Lottie Moon because next year you'll know what it went to when you can't remember what you got. Think about it. The greatest need of our life is to know and love Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are disconnected from God until we do that. No matter how hard we try, only Christ can make us right with God. But we can be changed for all of eternity by simply repenting of our sins, saying, I'm turning away from my direction in life. Lord, I'm turning an about face, and I'm going to follow hard after you. I'm surrendering everything that I have to you. If you've never done that, I pray that right now would be the moment that you pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And as we go through this portion of the service, I hope that every one of you that have been attending Westgate throughout the pandemic, you could quote how I end every message. And that you are using that to share that with other people. And that during this time when we pray for people to receive Christ, that you would be praying for someone that you know that doesn't know Christ, that they would come to the realization that they need Christ more than anything else. So let's pray. Christians, let's pray that we would trust the sovereignty of God in the midst of our uncertainty and that we would do the next thing, obediently do the next thing. God, thank you for the example of a man named Joseph that you chose out of all of humanity's population to be the earthly father of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We never hear a single thing that he says in your word, but his actions speak so loudly into our lives, especially now as, as we face uncertainty. To know, Lord, that all we need to do when we're raised with a question of why is just to trust that you're God, that you've got this, may not turn out the way that we hoped or planned, but we can trust you, that you always do what is best. And so our next step is to simply do the next step that you're calling us to do. And we know that for some today, in this room and listening online, their next step is to trust you as Lord and Savior. To open their heart to you with a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, I pray for my friends that are facing heartache, difficulty, and uncertainty even now. In their life, there is that big question that is reigning. Why? Why did this happen? Why is this happening? God, I don't understand. Lord, that you would give them the capacity to trust in your sovereignty and to do the next thing to obediently follow you into the next thing. 
We ask for this in the name of Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. If you would like someone to just visit with you about a spiritual question, maybe to receive Christ, maybe you want to join the church, maybe you want somebody to pray over you, I'll be standing over at the crosses, and we'd love to meet you in the atrium after the service if that's more convenient or, or feels a little bit less intimidating. Uh, the rest of you as believers in Christ, why not pray for someone that, that needs your prayers for them today? And if you're facing uncertainty, just pray a prayer of trusting God for his sovereignty and that next step. So let's stand together. Let's worship together as we come to a close. Amen.